Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, Internet. This is Andy's Philosophy Corner. I'm Andy. This episode is entitled people and other people and i think you know who we're all talking about when i say other people (laughs) that's so cryptic and so dumb i love it all right uh i'm andy and i am the chief philosophical officer the cpo of andy's philosophy corner proud to report this is all part of the steel plaza podcast To do this isn't really expensive, but it isn't free. And if you would find it in your heart to uh, uh, support this program one way or another, maybe you share the video, maybe you just get some ideas that mean something to you. If you do at one point uh, come into good fortune and feel like supporting the program, look us up on PayPal, Steel Plaza podcast on paypal all right thank you all right are you ready am i ready all right hold on (laughs) the title of this installment of andy's philosophy corner is called people and other people and maybe i should start out by sharing a way of looking at things that you might not have thought of before. Now I'm going to call it granular ethics, granular ethics. Now, just very quickly before what I get into with what I mean by granular ethics, let me, uh, as we've said on the program before, there are, There are two primary ways, historically, from ancient times, that individuals justified uh, the ethics of their behavior and speech, their actions. Two ways. Uh, One you would call, get ready for a big word, one you would call deontological ethics deontological ethics how this is defined loosely look it up for yourself but deontological ethics basically says you are ethically justified to do a thing regardless of the outcome you are only compelled to do for the sake of doing really now This could have a a religious or a legal implication involved. These are types of things that, well, you justify to yourself by saying that 
Well, I trust that uh, the outcomes of my actions are going to be okay. Um, all I know is I'm supposed to do this, um, or I am forbidden from doing that. Just regardless of the outcome, you know, you, you just have to do it. Now, the opposite of deontological ethics would be teleological ethics. Teleological ethics means that you focus really exclusively on the outcomes of your actions. You know, versus the deontological, the teleological says, yeah, you could do this or that or that or that, but what are the outcomes going to be? What are the outcomes of your actions to ethically justify what you are doing or saying or not doing or not saying, I suppose? So now, and we'll get to granular ethics in a moment. Right after I point out that there is merit and there is hazard to each ethical justification. Uh, if you focus or rely on deontological justification, if you focus and rely on deontological, you may get outcomes that you don't like. You know, and if you know that the outcomes are going to be very, very poor, are you still able to say that this is an ethical action? And to shorthand this, I was only following orders. And in the 20th century, depending on the circumstances and the individuals, um, that doesn't necessarily always hold up. Now, 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 on the opposite, you have a hazard with teleological ethics. You have a hazard because if you're going to say the outcome is really, really what matters, then you must, or you can, disregard how you achieve those outcomes. And put that way, it's that the end justifies the means. And I think we can all kind of tell that there are, that can get pretty complicated pretty fast if you're going to say that the ends justify the means. Because what if everybody doesn't agree on the means? So, so we have our deontological ethical justification and we have our teleological ethical justification, both with merits, both with hazards. So, how can we start to make sense of this? Well, I have a few thoughts. Mm. Suppose you have one person living all on their own. They have no communication with any other people. This is getting back to the title of the episode, People and Other People. So, um, should probably call this granular ethics. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Anyway, so you have somebody just living on their own. 
just say in the middle of nowhere you know no one else around they provide for themselves they take care of themselves um <laughs> to quote leonard skinnard i ain't hiding from nobody and nobody hiding from me you know what i mean you have just a person existing on their own surviving prospering they got no gripes with anybody and there's no gripes with anybody else you know there's there's the absence of an ethical conflict between people and other people this is granular ethics you have the simplest case scenario where there isn't any chance of people harming each other right right okay all right so that is our starting point now we will incrementally make this more complicated and the first level of complication comes when this individual let's call him alex runs into someone else named uh barb so alex runs into barb you know one day as they're each working their fields or minding their herd or whatever they may be doing they bump into each other and uh hopefully it's pretty civil you know so let's assume things are fairly civil you know and probably what happens is they have a reasonable discussion about well okay well um i agree not to mess with you if you agree not to mess with me and you know i won't take what's yours and you won't take what's mine okay now now what you have right there is a consensual agreement for coexistence now probably partly because of this consensual agreement both parties alex and barbara are going to prosper uh they've sort of found uh established a peace now as they become prosperous what happens what happens over time sooner or later the wrong type of person is going to come around and discover them so our granular ethics slowly gets a little more complicated because you have just a dude on his own meets another dude dudette i can't keep up um another individual you know and they do the simplest thing possible hey how you doing all right well good to see you um you seem okay i'm not going to mess with you you're not going to mess with me we're good but one day a third party rolls around and uh starts stealing uh cattle let's say or uh ears of corn so suddenly there's a problem suddenly there's an ethical problem what was very very simple has just become an awful lot more complicated it's become a three-dimensional problem because you know just one dimension will be a point in space and two dimensions you and your neighbor um 
you know, are at a fixed distance from each other. But now we got a third dimension of a third individual. So our granular economics has gone 3D. I wonder if you could put this on a 3D printer. Those things are amazing, aren't they? Anyways, so as a result of the third party, Alex and Barbara decide that they need to get on the same page about this to protect their mutual interest. Then what happens? What happens is because Alex and Barbara are very, very busy, you know, it's not easy to support yourself. You know, it's ethical because you're not bothering anybody. Nobody's bothering you. What you do with some of your excess wealth is you employ somebody to keep watch. Oh, isn't that a beautiful idea? You've got commerce, you've got consensus, and uh, you're paying for someone to have on your side to look after your back. So, an achievement and granular ethics. Two parties with a shared problem agree upon a solution or a trade-off, perhaps. And that word trade-off is going to come up again. So, with this added protection of a protector, of a guardian, with the guardian, um, Alex and Barbara are, uh, they're starting to do really well. Yeah, they're, uh, they're doing great, you know? Everything is, uh, everything's wonderful. The crops are great. We're expanding. We're growing more stuff. We're having increased reserves of, uh, food and, uh, everything else you need to get by. However, what they have has become increasingly attractive don't smoke kids it's not a good idea anyways so uh, uh so uh guardian you know and we can just say guardian guardian says uh you know since i started helping you out you're making like 10 times what you used to your house is getting huge you're buying the most expensive stuff from the farthest reaches of the world. And uh, I don't think the little salary you're paying me is going to keep you safe anymore. I'm going to need to hire a bunch of guys. I'm going to need to hire a bunch of guys. I'm going to need to buy a bunch of stuff. We're going to need to build some things. You're going to have to start paying out according to how much you got. Okay, if you want me to keep you safe, you know, uh, this is a fantastic enterprise you got here. It'd be a shame if anything would happen to it. It quickly turns into that. So the granular ethics, where we started with something that couldn't be simpler, 
we've now ended up with something for which there are not there are no longer easy solutions or explanations you've got this three-dimensional relationship between you your neighbor and this third party this third party which uh started out as somebody you were kind of helping out i mean i mean they were down on their luck and you said look listen stand here with a gun shoot any of the foxes that come by to eat my chickens or uh um if cattle rustlers come on um come around you know um your job is to uh, protect what's here what your job is to protect me and that's the nature of the relationship so what has happened is what comes to pass alex and barbara end up having to do whatever the guardian says that's what's messed up that's what we don't like uh, i've said it before i'll say it again the key to human prosperity is decentralized leadership broadly or uh in the model which apparently works the best for human prosperity for the quantity and quality of human life on this planet comes directly from the scottish enlightenment uh, which directly led to the founding philosophy for the united states of america since that time human lifespan has doubled you know technology will always continue to advance that's not what's changing what changed hundreds of years ago is that people appreciated the value of decentralized authority and i think history bears that out to a t if you look at the worst tragedies they were committed when there was too much centralized authority okay so uh, so we know what to look out for don't we we have that ethical responsibility of thinking about the outcomes of our actions after all the worst atrocities ever committed by human beings to human beings were committed by people who are absolutely sure they were doing the right thing somehow they were alleviated ethically to thinking about the outcomes of their actions and i think it's pretty important to look out for <laughs> the same thing happening again you know those who learn those who don't learn history are forced to repeat it those who do learn history are forced to watch others repeat it all right uh we are gonna take a very short break so you can also learn about the sponsors of this program this is andy's philosophy corner part of the steel plaza podcast we appreciate your time and uh like comment subscribe share or even donate at paypal uh, under steel plaza podcast this is andy and we'll be right back
All right, and we are back. It's Andy's Philosophy Corner. And you guessed it, I'm Andy. This is part of the Steel Plaza podcast, and we encourage you to, uh, if you'd like to donate to the program, go to PayPal, type in Steel Plaza Podcast. Another way you can support the program is liking, sharing, subscribing, talking about some of the ideas you heard on this program, or just contemplating. Just thinking about things changes the universe. And uh, I believe it was Lao Tzu, Taoism, who said, Be mindful of your thoughts. They'll become your words. Be mindful of your words. They will become your actions. Be mindful of your actions. They'll become your habits. You know, you are what you think, you are what you do. That's so, uh, anyways, oh, geez, I forgot to hit the button. How long have I been talking here? Two minutes? All right, hold on. I've got to fix something. <laughs> Everybody loves how uh, fantastic uh, the production value is. All right. All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. So, the title of today's podcast, this is uh, the B Block. I suppose we're going ABC. Uh, the title of the podcast is People and Other People, if you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's stupid and so ambiguous. Where else are you going to get this type of content except from the Steel Plaza podcast? All right. So People and Other People. And today we're shooting that simple idea through the prism of granular ethics. Because ethics speaks directly toward the quality of a person's life, I believe. I believe people should try very hard to not hate any other human being. Okay. Stick with me here for a second. If you hate another human being, I think that lives in your heart or in your mind, you know, living rent free in someone's head. That's a, that's a saying, <laughs> um, you know, if you can help it, don't hate the person, hate what they did, Hit what they said. Okay, well, that's a lot better. You know, and eventually, you just don't care. So, um, I encourage for the quality of... For everybody involved, really. Uh, try not to hate people. Uh, I think it's bad for you. So, now, getting back to granular ethics, as you probably recall, I had established a scenario where you have one person living on their own, no contact with anyone else, no ethical dilemmas, right? They're going to do what they're going to do. Nobody's messing with them. They're not messing with anybody else. Simple. 
So when we make it a little bit more complicated by adding a second dimension of another individual, perhaps that is similarly situated. They're on their own. They got no problems with anybody. Nobody's got problems with them. And we establish something very simple and probably essential for the peaceful coexistence of each other is that we just agree not to mess with each other. I'm going to leave you alone. You're going to leave me alone. Lovely. What could be better than that? To avoid ethical uh, dilemmas. In our example, um, with the prosperity that happened, this attracted elements that you don't want around. They're going to take your stuff going to mess you up to take your stuff. So what you do is, uh, as in the other example, I think it was Alex and Barbara, the neighbors who get along great. I mean, they get along really great, you know, and they're both doing great. So they hire somebody, they hire a gun hand. And as they continue to, pro to prosper, um, you can't get by with just one gun hand. Uh-uh. So what invariably, axiomatically, what happens is the guardians become overlords, essentially. Your guardians, your servant becomes your master. I mentioned in the uh, previous uh, part of the podcast what seems to work best for humankind, if you care about the quantity and quality of human life, which, I mean, that's sort of, sort of a mantra of mine. What seems to work best is the Scottish philosophy, which drew directly from ancient Roman and Greek philosophy that you need a balance of power. In other words, you can't have one guy calling all the shots, you know, because the same thing happens every time. Ten times out of ten, a hundred times out of a hundred. When you got one guy in charge of everything, it's misery for the rest of us. You know, because what, what do they need you for? <laughs> um, uh, I was recently uh, reading about the works of Juvenal. I just uh, ordered uh, the 16 satires of Juvenal. And I'm going to be sharing that on a future philosophy podcast because... It's amazing, A, how old it is, the ratio, the ratio of how old it is to how relevant it is today to our zeitgeist. As many um, of you know, zeitgeist is a German word that means the spirit of the times. Shame we don't have a word for that in English. Anyways, so... um. <sighs> So you got this problem with granular ethics. I mean, it's it's a fine way to look at things, but you are faced with the same dilemma of 
how do you prevent your servant be, from becoming your master? How does that happen? Now, according to, I would say, uh, philosophy that came out of uh, ancient Greece and the Scottish Enlightenment, the answer to that is decentralized authority. You know, you have people keep checks and balances on each other. You have accountability to each other, to the public at large. And that's why you need both. Yes, accountability to the public at large is called democracy. But what happens if there aren't other checks and balances in place? That's why you don't want a democracy. You get mob rule. And the worst part is, you know, a mob is not the leader. The leader of a mob is the centralized authority. I've been trying to explain is what you don't want. So you can't have it's a necessary, but not a sufficient condition. What you must have are levers of power, keeping each other in check and moving slowly. So and for Alex and Barbara and their pieces of property and their guardian problem, well, I think what you really want is a bunch of competing guardians, you know. I don't know, um, some level of authority within the guardianship that prevents any one individual from accumulating too much power and deciding they don't need you. They like your stuff. They don't need you. <laughs> so uh don't mean to be all dark or anything, but I think from a granular level, this is what we've got on our hands. All right. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And this has to do with democracy. So, uh, Jean Baudrillard, Jean Baudrillard, French philosopher, died about, uh, what, 10 or 15 years ago, died in 2007, how's my math, 15 years ago, okay, um, I'll just read you a little from the Wikipedia and then I'll go off a little more. Uh, born uh, 1929, died 2007, was a French sociologist, philosopher, and cultural theorist. He's best known for his ideas of media, contemporary culture, and technological communication, as well as his formulation of concepts such as simulation and hyper-reality. Doesn't that sound uh, titillating? <laughs> Baudrillard wrote about diverse subjects, including consumerism, gender relations, critique of economy, economics, social history, art, Western foreign policy, and popular culture. Among his best-known works are Seduction, 1978, 
Simulacra and Simulation 1981, which stick a pin in that one because we're coming back to it. It's 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 just an update of Plato's Cave. It's the Matrix. Uh, again, that work is called Simulacra and Simulation. Uh. 1986, he published a book called America and his publications called, get this, <laughs> The Gulf War Did Not Take Place. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> his, his work is frequently associated with postmodernism and specifically poststructuralism. Nevertheless, Baudrillard can also be seen as a critic of post-structuralism and has distanced himself from postmodernism. So um, I applaud anyone that's, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, it seems like he, I don't want to say flip-flopped. I want to say he went in one direction and I guess he became more informed. Um, and he changed direction, it would seem. I mean, cause that's a pretty weird thing to say this, this whole war didn't take place. I don't know. Maybe he's right. How do I know? I'm over here in uh, North America. So I saw a video, you know, um, I'm sure it did take place. So uh, not sure. I mean, and I read this, his whole article is called The Gulf War Did Not Take Place. The first thing you'll read about it is, oh, yeah, he knows it took place, but he just <laughs> that's called a catchy title. That's called clickbait, my man. So down a notch for that. Trying to get attention. That's it. But ironically, just trying to get attention is the whole deal. One of the most important things he pointed out. Baudrillard, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. But he said in this world where a copy of life becomes the primary uh, means of interaction for individuals and ultimately copies of copies. And you could say that a meme is part of that. But, but, but he says uh, the spectacle, you know, in his studies of consumerism, gender relations, critique of economy, social history, art, popular culture, the spectacle is what generates the attention. And attention is interest. Interest has value. So he has very much touched upon a new facet of, I would say, his insight into the oncoming information age, that the spectacle becomes valuable just for being a spectacle. And this is largely what he predicted. And I think to uh, quite an extent, um, you got to give the man a little credit. So I got to also quickly point out, um, you know, being more postmodernism 
As we've mentioned on this program before, postmodernism is kind of the rebranding of communism, which goes back to this 19th century German philosophy of Hegel, others, who kind of uh, spent a lot of time dwelling on futility, you know, when you think about it. Germans are dwelling on futility. You can't know anything. Oh, nothing's any good. (laughs) It's like Despair Incorporated, uh, which is an actual company, which anyway, um, you know, and I'm tending to think these days that this despair that came out of 19th century German philosophy was a response to the Scottish Enlightenment. The Scottish Enlightenment, which said, hey, you know, people can be really prosperous if we just keep these uh, our leaders and our guardians in check. If we can find a way to keep our leaders and our guardians in check, we're all going to do a lot better. You know, we'll have stuff that makes sense for people. I won't bother you. You won't bother me. We just got to make sure that the guardians, the protectors, the governors, the leaders who work for us. Make sure they don't mess up. We got to make sure they don't mess up because we got a lot of specifics down on paper about what is expected. You could call it an RFP, a request for proposal. Uh, it's what we would call such a thing in the business world, you know. And it's a job description. In this case, you know, you're a judge, you're a legislator, you're a dog catcher. Okay, it. I mean, if you're employed by the public to do a certain thing, we really expect you to do that. Not everybody's perfect, but I think most of us sense a degree of corruption that does not bode well for the quantity and quality of human life on this planet. All right. Isn't that fantastic? All right. Um, We're going to take another one more very, very brief um, moment to hear from our sponsors. We appreciate your time, your attention, like, share, comment, think. And, uh, you know, if you want to throw a couple ducats our way, we greatly appreciate it. Just go to PayPal, search field, type in Steel Plaza Podcast, and you'll have done a good thing (laughs) in our efforts to advance the quantity and quality of human life on this planet. So, uh, thanks. We will be right back. All right, and welcome back to Andy's Philosophy Corner. It's July 2022 for another few hours. The title of this episode is People and Other People. And I think we all like other people. I can think of a lot of other people I like, you know. Um, Family, friends. Uh, people I've known, co-workers, musicians. Anyway, this is Andy's Philosophy Corner, brought to you by the Steel Plaza Podcast. Be sure to check out Steel Plaza Podcast and also to find music that 
I can practically guarantee you've never heard before and might not be able to find anywhere else. Darkest corners of the internet. New music. The fresh vitality that uh, invigorates our kind. So, we got people and we got other people. One person I told you about was... uh, What's his face? Uh, Bull Yard. <laughs> What's his face? Uh, but to uh, uh, quickly bring up a brief mention from the previous uh, part of the show, Simulacra and Simulation, published in 1981. If you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, this very book appears briefly but kind of prominently Uh, In the scene where uh, early in the movie, before Neo knows about uh, the Matrix, he's in his apartment and a couple folks uh, show up to buy some uh, illegal software or something like that. I don't know. But uh, the book Simulacra and Simulation is right there. And as I also kind of mentioned, this is... Very much just a retelling, a modern retelling of the allegory of of Plato's cave. Plato's cave. Mm. All right, had to wet my whistle. Um, uh, Many listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with it. And uh, you could characterize it this way. You have individuals that are down in a cave and they're chained to a wall. And the only thing they can see are two dimensional images, um, shadows cast upon that wall. This is their entire lives. This is all they know are two dimensional images cast on a wall. Try and imagine that. (laughs) And how ironic in the year 2022 that uh, we spend so much time focused on two-dimensional images instead of three-dimensional ones. And that's kind of the point of Plato's Cave. And that's kind of the point of simulacra and simulation. What happens in Plato's Cave is one of the folks locked down here viewing two-dimensional images, um, finds his way out of the cave and discovers this three-dimensional world. Discovers this three-dimensional world and then goes back to the cave out of uh, trying to help people out. Saying, look, man, this it doesn't have to be like this. There's this whole other thing that's just way, way better. It's a whole other dimension. And unfortunately, what was found by um, Plato's ruminations occurs in a more modern manifestation in something a psychologist would call Stockholm Syndrome, where essentially a prisoner will fight to keep their chains where a prisoner will come to love their captor. Now, as a regular old guy like me, uh, 
again, the quantity and quality of human life. If, if, you're, if someone is being deprived of a true... Oh, fuck, I'm not recording. Sorry. As someone who has been deprived of the three-dimensional experience, how do you then take them into this new world that... Getting back to an earlier point, doesn't make sense, and you are faced with oblivion. This is not the world you know. This does not make sense with what you already know. How can we fathom this? How do we process this? Well, one thing is, like we said, you can just deny what you're seeing with your own eyes, and you can go back to your two-dimensional world. A two-dimensional world, which might be good or bad, instead of a three-dimensional world, which tells you that it's not just good or bad. A world which is confusing, absurd, but if you want to look at things from an ethics point of view, you have to consider the ethics of the individual fighting to keep their own chains. And unfortunately, I have, uh, it's sad, but I think it's probably true. There's an abuse theory that I have about humankind. What's good about this theory is that you don't dislike your fellow human being nearly as much, maybe not at all. We don't have to dislike each other. Consider someone with a very different point of view. Mm, they're adamant. Now, instead of being angry or upset with them for not being correct or, um, you know, you tell them they um, have got it wrong... I'm, you have one of these situations, which happens quite an awful lot these days, where people insist that um, a truth is a fact or a fact is not a fact. Consider those two cases. When you have a disagreement, you in 2022, you ethically must give some leniency for the fact that you've been informed differently. You've been informed differently. So uh, I made up a dumb example. Uh, suppose your entire life you have been told about the existence of a creature, and I'll just make it up. I should call it a widget. I'll call it uh, a blue-blue. It's a hypothetical. It doesn't matter. There's a creature called a blue blue, a blue blue, you know, and it's a, I don't know, it's a fish or a bird. It doesn't matter. Um, and you've been told all sorts of things about the blue blue creature. You've been told all sorts of things and that's all you've ever been told. That's all you ever know. You've never been given any reason to question anything. But then one fine day after Years of being informed one way, after years of that, you encounter for yourself a blue-blue. And 
what you experience is not at all what you've been told. So what do you do with that information? Uh, sort of uh, the expression, uh, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? And it can get to be a scary thing um, when people will stop believing their own senses. One of the darkest examples would be in 1984 when Winston is so broken. He believes that two plus two actually equals five. Okay, that's... That's a situation I think we need to avoid. That seems pretty dark when one person can so program another person, break them, separate their mind from their senses. We need to avoid that. We really do. We really do. Um... I'd like to mention something else I was thinking about lately. Uh, some time ago on the Joe Rogan podcast, he had on some guy. I forget his name. I'd be happy to give it if I knew it. But the fella, his research, his work, was in finding out what psychologically hurt people the most. And he says, well, it's with the idea if we can find out what's really wrong, we can make it better. <laughs> and I'm watching this and immediately, I think a room 101 in the book 1984 by George Orwell. For those unfamiliar, room 101 was where they scrambled your brains. They found out your very worst fear and subjected you to it. So where dude on the Joe Rogan podcast, he may have absolutely fantastic intentions. I'm not questioning his intentions. That's the deontology part of it. But maybe it never occurred to him that his work could be completely subverted and turned into the precise opposite of what he had in mind. So think about that. Those of you in the scientific community that can't stop inventing new things faster than our cultural ethics can keep up, you know, is a human-pig hybrid ethical? <laughs> Why'd you make a human pig hybrid? Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to get by, man. And what? I'm going to be on a bus 10 years from now and it's it's going to be mostly human pig hybrids going to work? <laughs> you know, in the words of co comedian Lily Tomlin, I try to be sarcastic, but it's so hard to keep up. <laughs> Uh, about how absurd culture can be. And that gets us a bit back to uh, juvenile. And I, I ordered the book today. I'm going to be reading the 16 satires of juvenile. And I'll probably read off a lot of direct quotes over the coming uh, 
uh, weeks and months of juvenile. But he's sort of the OG uh, cynic and uh, uh, what's the word? Not not cynic. Uh, sat satire. Juvenile, as far as I can tell, is the original king of satire. And it's, I was, I was really struck by how much what he said resonated with, um, current events, which takes us back to human nature doesn't really change. And I think that's something to consider. Um, I also, I also believe that you should think kindly on your fellow human being. And I think you should generally have a good opinion of the rest of humankind. And I'll tell you why. What if what you think about your fellow human being in general is actually what you think about yourself in particular? And I'm going to give you one more little uh, uh, parable. I believe this comes from a sermon I heard when I was younger. Okay. And I probably told this story before, but one guy leaves his town. He's going to move into another town. He meets someone uh, at the edge of town and says, uh, Hey, uh, I'm moving here from another town. And uh, the guy in the town says, uh, how come? He goes, well, the guy moving in from another town. All them people in my hometown are jerks. You know, they're liars. They're loud. They're rude. They smell bad. Uh, they lie. They cheat. They steal. Talk about you behind your back. I've had enough of them. So the guy who lives in this new town says, uh, oh, really? Uh, well, I think you're going to find the people in this town are the same as the people in your old town. So I encourage you to think kindly on your fellow human being, be a little bit nicer than you have to be. I can't explain it. No one can, but it makes you a better person and it makes the world a better place when you can manage to do that instead of getting angry with people with whom you disagree. You know, it's times are tough, you know, and we've all been informed a little bit differently or a lot differently, which takes us back to epistemology and what do you know? How do you know it? And the shorthand, the shorthand to epistemology is find out if this publication or this individual has ever been forced by a court of law to print a retraction. When you find an information source that has been forced, not volunteered, not done so on their own accord, forced by a court of law to print a retraction, they cease to be a valid source of information. It's 2022. You've got the entire internet. You've got billions of people to listen to online. 
you find someone that ain't telling the truth, yeet. All right. So um, people and other people, ethics, deontology, teleology, bullriard, juvenile. I, uh, if, if you're still listening, thank you very much for your attention. Uh, I'm just a guy trying to make sense of things. This is Andy's Philosophy Corner on the Steel Plaza podcast. Doing what we do is not super expensive, but it also isn't free. And it means a lot when um, listeners like yourself can uh, just uh, punch up PayPal, type in Steel Plaza podcast, send us a dollar or two. Uh, it means more personally than financially, to be truthful. So uh, this is Andy's Philosophy Corner. I really appreciate you um, taking time out of, uh, of your limited time to spend it here with me. Take care. Live long and prosper. <laughs>